Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Hi, I'm Miranda Wright, and this is day 106 of our 120-day Upper Room Prayer Campaign. Today we're going to see where the sin of unbelief leads as we pray for mercy, that God not move the hedge of protection that keeps the enemy from overtaking a people, a congregation, or a nation. Having grown up on a small family form, there are many aspects of scripture that have daily come alive to me. Parables of sheep and goats, sowing seeds, pruning vineyards, being equally yoked, dealing with wheat and tares, ridding the chaff, and so on. There is quite a lot to be said about my wilderness college. There are deeper revelations and understandings to be had of the scriptures found in putting your hands in the dirt and to the plow and actually doing what the biblical writers did than to sit in a classroom and be told what they said. So having said that, one of the seemingly endless battles that we fought against in our fields was a weed called Johnson grass. It's a nasty, annoying tear, a weed grass that shoots up fast and stands tall among your garden. It has tiny little teeth along the edge of each blade of grass that acts like a saw and slices you open when you try to pull it out of the ground. And if you do succeed in uprooting it, you'll usually pull up several good plants with it that have grown too close to it. So when I was younger, after having fought with this issue for years, I asked my grandfather, who had formed this very same land decades earlier in a much simpler time. I asked him how they dealt with Johnson grass in his day before things like tractors and herbicides were readily available here. Much to my surprise, he said, oh, that's easy. If a field got to a point of being so infested with weeds that it became fruitless, we would just turn the pigs loose in it and let them utterly destroy it. They would devour everything. The pigs would dig up the ground and eat even the very roots, leaving behind a barren, sterilized field. They would then run the pigs out, put the barriers back up around the garden, and start all over again, weed-free. This is what he told me. And I thought, what genius, and yet what sorrow, in this last-ditch effort to save this field to take the protective wall down around the field and allow the enemy to rush in and wreak havoc in order to uproot the weeds that were rendering the field fruitless and useless. Yet even in what might seem from the outside looking in like the former was giving up on the field by taking the wall down and turning it over to the pigs, it was actually an act of love for this field, this vineyard of his He was not willing to leave it to the tares. He was not willing to give up on this garden, even if he had to start over with it. It was better than to just walk away from it because he loved it. This was his inheritance. This was his land. And he wasn't about to let the tares ruin it. Believe it or not, God does the same thing in people, in congregations, and even in nations. 
when seeds of rebellion, pride, error, idolatry, selfishness, and wickedness begin to outnumber and choke out the fruits of righteousness, God removes the wall of protection and allows the enemy to rush in and overtake it in hopes of rooting out the rebellion through the humbling. You see, God is so merciful. He will send us words and warnings. He will give us instruction and direction. He will provide time and space for repentance. He will give us chance to seek his face. And he tells us in his word and he will find ways to show it to us each and every day. When he says, if my people, which are called by my name, will just humble themselves and seek my face. If they'll stop trying to do it their own own way if they'll just get on their knees and pray and stop walking in pride and arrogance and trusting in the things of the land and the work of their hands and in mammon and stop trying to create counterfeit services if they will just submit and pray and seek my face and repent and turn away from their wickedness and stop trying to incorporate it into golden calf services, but just cry out and trust me to cast the powers and principalities out if they would just believe in the power of my grace, if they'd have faith in me, if they would come to terms with the reality that I am God and that nothing is too hard for me, that I am a miracle working God, that I am a God of resurrection and power and I can restore what the canker worm has devoured. I alone am king on this throne. If you will treat me as such and have faith in my grace to do What you cannot do, what mammon cannot do, what money cannot do, what man cannot do. If you will cry out to me, if you will pray, if you will just turn from your wicked ways and stop trusting in it and returning to it. If you'll lay your sin on the altar and stop picking it back up again. If you'll stop walking in unbelief and unforgiveness, then I myself will step in. And revive your land, your congregation, your heart again. But when a people will not, when they trust more in the idols, when they trust more in their wickedness, when the seeds of iniquity outnumber the fruits of righteousness, it comes to a point where God steps back and he says, okay, Let them have what they ask. I'm going to step away. And with it, my protection. The hedge comes down today. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 3 says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. We've got to learn that we cannot compromise. We cannot sow seeds of righteousness in a field of thorns. We cannot have a mixed congregation of compromise and sin and complacency and think God is going to step in and bless it or endorse it. He will have nothing to do with it. 
In fact, you tie his hands from blessing you because that you have endorsed it and incorporated it. He will never validate the things of the flesh or of Egypt or of mammon. He will only validate righteousness, holiness, and faith in him alone. Hosea 10 verse 12 says, Sow to yourself in righteousness and you will reap mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. So today I deliver a word that judgment is coming upon this earth and it will begin at the house of God. And the only way to get on the ark, the only way to stay judgment, the only way to not be found guilty among the wicked is to sow seeds of righteousness, to break up your fallow ground and not allow the thorns, which are the deceitfulness of riches, according to Jesus and the cares of this world to choke out your once fruitful tree. My friend, be leery of the tactics of the enemy. It says it is time to seek the Lord. This is how we break up the fallow ground. Seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Ye have plowed wickedness. Ye have reaped iniquity. Ye have eaten the fruit of lies because thou did trust in thy own way, in the multitude of thy mighty men. You trust in men. You trust in your own logic. You trust in your own understanding. You trust in your own programs, but you did not trust in his righteousness. You had faith in everything else to do what he said needed to be done, but you didn't have faith in him. You didn't pray. You didn't cry out. You didn't repent and you didn't preach righteousness. Let me tell you something, my friend. When judgment fell upon the earth, the Bible says that God saved Noah, the eighth man, a preacher of righteousness. The only thing that can revive is the spirit of the living God. And he will only come for those who preach righteousness. He will not come for performance. He will not come for platforms. He will not come for personalities. He will not come for light shows. He will only come because the righteous cry out. He will answer the fervent prayers of a righteous man. And when you compromise or put your faith in mammon or the things of man or you mix with sin and the culture of the land and you do not stand for righteousness at all costs even if it means you got to stand alone on a street corner and carry your cross then you have forfeited your place on the ark it says you have reaped iniquity because you trusted in your own ways and in the multitude of your mighty men Therefore shall a tumult arise among thy people and all thy fortresses shall be spoiled and shall man spoiled Beth Arbel in the day of battle. Do you understand what this is saying? That when people trust in themselves, when they trust in men or in people or in the multitude of those that they have working for them, or when they trust in mammon or in the culture or in the works of their hand, then God will step back, remove his hedge of protection, his blessing and his provision. And he'll say, let's see how that works out for you in the end. When he does this, the enemy always rushes in. It's the same thing that my grandfather said that they did with that field whenever the tares, the weeds overtook it. They took the barrier down. They took the hedge of protection down and they let the pigs run in and destroy it. 
God is saying that he does this to people, to congregations, and to nations. He does it to ministries when they do not trust in him. This is the consequence of the sin of unbelief. We saw it happen over and over again to the Israelites in the wilderness because they would not trust in him to be their provider because they weren't satisfied with their daily manna. They weren't satisfied with what he was giving them. They wanted more. They wanted the things that they saw before in Egypt. They wanted to be just like the other nations. They wanted things that were pleasing to the palate. They wanted that easy message. They weren't content with what God had given them. They didn't trust him to bring them to the promise. And so the hedge of protection came down and the enemy overtook them over and over and over again until they were willing to cry out, repent of their sin, get back down on their knees and start praying again. Time and time again, the weeds of sin through unbelief took over the Israelites in the wilderness, even though they had good leaders. They had Moses. They had the meekest man in all of the earth going up on the mountaintop and getting the word of the Lord and bringing it back to them. They had a direct connect to heaven. God himself was speaking to them through the prophet Moses. They had good leadership. They had good direction. They just weren't listening to him. They were moving in pride and arrogance, trusting more in their own intellects. And because of this, in the end, God removed his protection and allowed the enemy to clear the field as an entire generation of that congregation fell as dead men in the wilderness. And then after this, God started afresh with a whole new generation, a new crop, a new wheat field, a new flock. Why? Because God was not willing to give up the field. He wasn't willing to give up the territory. He wasn't willing to give up that inheritance, that promise. He loved it. He had spoken it. And he was committed to deliver it. So he did what he had to do to clear the land and make it ready to be fruitful again. You see, what began as judgment was actually mercy in the end because God had given a promise and he was going to deliver it. And he could not allow this wickedness and sin and idolatry to contaminate it. God does not desire to take these harsh actions. But nevertheless, sometimes he has to. That the land or the territory or the inheritance not be lost and become a wilderness. It is grieving to God's heart to see the field trampled underfoot for this season. Yet because of his love for it, he will do what he must to save it in the end and make it bear fruit once again. Yes, of course, it is surely better to avoid letting the weeds spring up and take root and spread seed in the first place. Nevertheless, when they do, God will stop at no lengths to get them out. Even if he has to level the field to do it, he wants a fruitful vineyard and all that bear not good fruit or hinder the fruitfulness of others, he will cut down and cast out by whatever means necessary that the whole field not be lost. So great is his love for his inheritance, for his field, for his vineyard, and the potential of its fruitfulness. I need to read you a passage 
the word of the Lord God Almighty himself to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 5, starting in verse 1. When God himself said, Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved about his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it. He put a wall. He put a hedge of protection around it and gathered out the stones thereof. He was faithful to go and to break up the fallowed ground and to remove the rocks so that the seeds could easily take root. He was tending this ground that it might bear good fruit. And then he planted the choicest vines and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, but it brought forth poisonous grapes. Understand what he's saying. He's saying that he put a good husbandman over this vineyard who worked the land faithfully. He planted good seed. He delivered the word of the Lord. He built a high tower in the midst of it. He gave the warnings. He sent the word forth. He spoke the prophetic. He did what was supposed to be done for this vineyard to become fruitful. But yet at the time when it should have produced good fruit, it did nothing but produce poison fruit. It produced wickedness and iniquity. This is the representation of a people that are not heeding the word of a good shepherd that the Lord has provided for them. He's given them a good leader. He's given them the prophetic voice to warn them of danger, to watch out for the enemy trying to approach. He's given the truth of the scripture. He's planted that good vine. He's given them opportunity to be connected to the root of David. The ground has been worked. They should be producing good fruit, but they're not. They're producing poison. What they are producing will not nourish or feed the body. It will destroy it. It will poison anyone who eats it. So now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, you judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. God is saying, what more could I have done for this vineyard that I have not already done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should have brought forth good grapes, good fruit, it brought forth wild grapes, poisonous fruit, bad fruit. So now go to it. I will tell you what I will do to this vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof and it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof and it shall be trodden down and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more rain upon it. In other words, when this is speaking to a nation, it's saying that it takes away the blessing and provision. When this is speaking to a congregation, he takes away his anointing from it. It is Shiloh. It is Ichabod. It is cursed. They may continue to go through the motion, but the Lord is not in it. And when this happens to a person, there is no more protection. All of the works of their hand will come to nothing and the enemy will overcome them. My friend, this is serious. God will not be mocked. He will not be made a fool of. He will not be ignored when his word comes forth 
And if you trust more in mammon, in the works of your hand or in wickedness than you do in God's righteousness, if you will not stand for truth and have faith in him and pray and humble yourself and seek his face every day and pray and turn away from your wicked ways and cry out to him until he steps in, then this is how it will end because it's exposing pride within a person that will not humble and pray and seek God's face and trust in his wisdom and direction more than in the works of his own hand or in the multitude of his men or in his mammon is moving in arrogance and the Lord will not tolerate it. In first Corinthians chapter five, it says this, there are those among you that are puffed up and have not rathered to mourn that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already. In other words, he's saying, I've already seen this in the spirit, so don't try to deny it. I know that there are those among you who are moving in sin and wickedness and rebellion and pride and arrogance, and you have not been willing to remove them from the midst, to cut them off from leadership or from misleading the congregation. It's the pride that has held on to trusting in your own guidance, but have not humbled yourself to seek the Lord. You're not looking for what he's telling you. You're not trusting in his wisdom. You're trusting in your own decisions. Paul was saying, don't try to deny it. I've seen it in the spirit and I have judged you already for it. As though I were present with you, concerning him that hath also done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, your glorying is not good. It's better to turn them loose if they are not walking in righteousness, if they are not standing in agreement with the Holy Spirit, if they are allowing compromise and worldliness into the congregation, it's better for you to let them go that Satan might sift them. In other words, their hedge of protection is already gone. Judgment is coming on them. And if you don't allow them to separate from you, it's going to come on you in the process because you're going to be guilty by association because you have no authority against that which you come into agreement with. If you are in agreement with it, then you will be judged with it. Let it go so that when judgment falls upon it, they might humble and repent. But you stand for righteousness, even if you've got to do it alone, even if you've got to be unpopular for it, even if you only have one or two standing with you, or maybe the whole world standing against you. Like Noah did, God saved Noah, the eighth man, a preacher of righteousness. Paul said, just turn them over to Satan, that their trust in the flesh might be destroyed and their spirit might be saved. Don't move to validate their lack of faith in God by incorporating their idolatry, their culture, their ideologies, or you will also incorporate their judgment. It says glorying in those things that they do is not good. 
Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Leaven is yeast. You can put just a little bit of yeast in a whole lot of wheat and it will multiply and it will spread until it has corrupted and fulfilled the entire thing. Do you understand how yeast works? It's a decaying agent. The thing that causes the bread to get puffed up are literally the gases of decay. It is the very fragrance of death. This is why leaven was often represented as sin in the Old Testament. That's why they couldn't even have it in their house during the time of Passover. Don't think that you can have just a little bit of sin and it be okay. Because as soon as that little bit gets in, it, it spreads to everything and it's all corrupted. Don't think that you can have just one or two people in leadership in your church that you know are not all right, but oh, they're so talented. Once you have allowed it, you have given access to the enemy and that leaven has spread to everything and God will have nothing to do with it because it is a stench in his nostrils. It's time to choose your side, humility or pride, righteousness or wickedness. Faith or arrogance, God or man, mammon, and all of the lifeless gods that he has created to fill his elevated stages. Do you know what the sin of the Tower of Babel really was? It's not this children's story that we heard in Sunday school about this people that wanted to build a tower to make it all the way to heaven. It was about Nimrod, who built a migdal. The word translated to tower there was a migdal. It literally means an elevated pulpit so that he could stand in it. Not so that he could make it up to heaven where God was. So that he could stand in the place of God as though he were God. He was trying to elevate himself above the heavens like Lucifer did. And he did it by building an elevated pulpit so that he could stand in it. And be worshipped by men. The first manifestation of the Antichrist spirit. God will not tolerate it. The passage continues to say, Purge out therefore the leaven, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. And in this we see without argument that the leaven represents sin, wickedness, corruption. But us, we are as Christ, the Passover, we are to be the unleavened bread of sincerity and of truth. Pure, holy, righteous, showing forth that good fruit. God, we come before you and we repent of the sin of unbelief and wickedness and trusting in the works of our own hands. 
and thinking that we can mix with the culture of the land and with ungodly men and mammon and all of these things that are the stench of death to you. God, we repent of it. I seek you daily. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to walk in the truth, even if I've got to stand there alone, just me and you. And God, I know that there are others. There are others who have not bent the knee to bail. I know that they are out there. But Lord, today I am making a declaration for me. Let each person pray with sincerity that they might be found to be the unleavened, the uncompromised, the uncorrupted bread that is the body of Christ. Understand that bread represents the body of Christ. So what he's saying here is that there are two different kind. There is an unleavened, the true bread that moves in truth, but there is a compromised one, a counterfeit one, one that is puffed up and arrogant, one that is full of leaven one that is full of wickedness. It is a leavened bread. It looks like the body, but it's more pleasing to the palate. It's puffed up. It's more desirable, but it's a counterfeit body because it's not fit for the Passover. The Passover bread was broken. His body was broken. He went through Passover, that time of sacrifice, that time of obedience, of laying down his life, of moving in God's will. All of this is represented in the bread, in the Passover, in the unleavened. Let us be found among the unleavened, not found amongst those that he said, I did all that I could do. What more could I do for you? I gave you the truth. I gave you the word. I spoke to you every day. I gave space for repentance. I pulled out the stones. I broke up the fallow ground. I planted good seed. I even put a watchtower in the midst of you. I put a prophet who was willing to search me out and speak forth the truth every single day. If you were willing to get on your knees and pray, I was willing to direct you, to lead you, to guide you, to correct you, to get you through Passover without compromising. I was going to bring you to the promise, the outpouring, but you put your faith in the leaven of the Pharisees. Oh, blind disciple. Remember when Jesus warned the disciples not to be tempted to partake of the bread of the Pharisees or of Herod, not to incorporate the things of the world or the compromising ministries, not to partake of these and incorporate them into what it was that he wanted to bring. He said, don't partake of the bread. Beware of the bread of Herod and the Pharisees. And the disciples thought he was talking about literal bread. And he said, you have eyes, but you can't see. You're blind to me. Do you not remember when I multiplied the loaves and the fishes, how I fed the 5,000 with so little? Miraculously, I can do miracles to bring my will about. There is nothing that I cannot do. Why do you trust more in earthly things? It's because you don't really have faith in me. This is when he took them to the blind man that he had to take out of Bethsaida because it was a place of unbelief before he could restore his sight. And when they saw the miracle being performed, then he asked Peter again, who is it that you say that I am? And he said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, now you get it. 
God is waiting for you to really believe that he is who he is and that he can do what he can do. Or you will prove your unbelief by putting your trust in the bread of Herod and the Pharisees. God, we repent of this. Let it not be found once among us. Lord, let it not be in me. No leaven, no compromise, no unbelief. But let me be found as one of those two blind men who were screaming out, Oh, Jesus, son of David, do not pass me by. They just felt his presence. They heard a word that he was coming, but they couldn't see it yet. Oh, by faith, I hear it in the spirit that he is coming. I feel his presence approaching, but I can't see it yet. But I believe it. I'm listening to what I hear in the spirit and I'm crying out with everything that is within me. Oh, Jesus, son of David, do not pass me by. I might be blind, but I can see what the Pharisees can't see. I know that you are the son of the living God and that you are a God of impossibility. You can heal me. You can open my eyes. You can set the captive free. You can deliver. You can do what no man can do. And I don't need anything from you but to be able to set my eyes on you and worship you and testify of what you and you alone can do. And when all the world comes against me to tell me to be quiet, I'm going to cry out all the louder. Oh, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of the living God. You are the root of David. It doesn't matter who doesn't want me to say it. It doesn't matter how the Pharisees try to quiet me. I'm going to scream it out all the louder. You are Jesus. You are the son of the living God. You are the root of David and nothing is too hard for you. You can do what no man can do. You can do without the leaven what the leaven cannot do. You have come to prove that purity is more powerful than the putridness of the compromise of this culture of wickedness and the counterfeit antichrist spirit of Baal that controls it. Oh, what more could be done for this vineyard? That you have not done. But yet I cry out one more time Lord. Have mercy on it. Send your wave of truth. Show them who you are. Give us one more season. To dig it. To fertilize it. To pour your truth upon it. I beg your mercy upon it. Nevertheless. Not my will. But thy will be done. That in the end. All might acknowledge you as the only one worthy of adoration. I give you praise as I announce in faith, O Jesus, Son of David, is coming. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, Be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.